Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It is uh, episode 44. We're coming up on our year anniversary. Very it took exciting. You 44 episodes to get to me. <laughs> 40, yeah, you were 44th. I'm, four, I'm the 44th choice. You were 40, yeah, exactly. No, actually, I had somebody today that canceled, so you were oh. my 45th choice. No, I'm teasing, man. You know I'm teasing. It is October 9th here in Omaha, Nebraska. It's Friday. It's a beautiful day. It's supposed to be 90 degrees today. And you're in a sweatshirt, for God's sake. Oh, it's still chilly out. Don't it's, get it starts off chilly, but it's going to be warm today. I think we're going to hit a record high. So um, it should be a great weekend. I'm looking forward to the weekend. My guest today is Aaron Anderson, uh, safety director with White's Company or White's Construction. Um, we've known each other probably 20 years or more. You started with White's in 1996. Okay. I started with OSHA in 1996. I actually started with Ayers and Ayers in, oh, 90, that's right. in 1996 and was there for 10 years. And that's now exactly I've, right. I've been with White's since 2006. Okay, man. Well, so, we probably yeah. knew each other back in the Ayers and Ayers we days. Did. I remember we that, yeah. in fact. And you have always been kind of, uh, you've been active in the local community safety, you know, the AGC, the, you know, Rubens Group, the construction safety professionals. You've always been involved in all of those things. Well, it's about time you got here, man. I apologize <laughs> for putting it off for so long, but thank you for being here. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Um, I do want to, you know, this episode is being brought to you by our sponsors. I, I really want to thank them as I always do. CCS Group, are you familiar with these guys? CCS yep. Group is this concrete specialties, custom concrete specialist. They refurbish grain elevators and do concrete work. Really kind of an interesting company doing some really cool stuff safely, I might add. Uh, the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation, Jim Cover and the consultants down at on-site consultation. Thank you, Jim. I hope you're staying busy. Safety Reports, uh, Steve Polich and the folks at Safety Reports are gracious enough to sponsor the program. And then my buddy Aaron Cerrone, uh, Mid-American Martial Arts, and uh, our leadership series. And uh, so thank you to all of our sponsors. All right, man. Um, how are you doing? Doing well. Staying good. busy. Good. Are Which you? good. Yes, we are. Have, did you guys ever lose business? I mean, did anything, was there any fluctuation or did? We've been really fortunate throughout the COVID that we haven't had projects shut down. I've continued to secure work. So nice. uh, for all this going on in the world, things have moved along pretty well for us. So Good. feel fortunate. I, I see a lot of construction around. I was just driving here today and there's a, you know, on the horizon, there are about eight cranes over there. It's probably that, um, you know, that project over by Millard North High School, perhaps, right. or something. But you can see cranes on the horizon, man. That That's a good sign for construction. Hopefully. Hopefully it keeps going and we all stay busy. That's Are, are those any of yours? Are you guys working locally uh, at all? Or? Our local projects right now, we're building a uh, addition to Mammal Hall at UNO. Oh, nice. So that's nice. Uh, in finished phases. We're at College of St. Mary. Okay. Sure. Uh, doing a new field house in addition to their athletic facilities. And nice. then is this all COVID money? These people are spending their COVID money. <laughs> no, they were started long before okay. that. All right. I know they've seen yeah. that we've gotten these big chunks of cash that yep. they've they're turning into like uh, you know, capital improvements and things. Right. So. I, yeah, and we're starting a new project up at Emmanuel, so the Omaha office is still busy oh, good, and man. throughout the country. Uh, we're doing a lot of work at data centers right now. Uh, our federal work is still moving along. Oh, so good. So wow, far, so diverse. good. You guys, you guys do a lot of different stuff. Why don't you, for those that don't know Whites, tell us you know a little bit about Whites and what your role with the company is. I know you have multiple hats. So sure. So, big picture, Whites is part of Arascom USA. Um, Arascom is a contractor based out of Amsterdam that purchased Whites about seven or eight years ago. So I'm the safety director for Arascom USA, which includes the Whites company and then also a company called Contract Watts. And that is our division that does mostly federal work. Okay. So they're located out of McLean, Virginia, with offices in outside of Seattle, and then in Honolulu and in Guam. <laughs> uh, Whites is a general, we're a general contractor. We do um, commercial, industrial. Um, our offices are Florida. We're based out of Iowa, out of Des Moines, here in Omaha, Denver, okay. and uh, wow. uh, also down in Phoenix. So. Okay. A little bit of a so, little bit of everything, a little bit so everywhere. So occasionally you have to go to Phoenix and Honolulu. It sounds Correct. like that's that's horrible. I'm <laughs> Limited sorry. on going to Honolulu <laughs> right, right now, but was in Phoenix a couple sure. weeks ago, and we'll be back yeah, again. So you shortly. guys have been, you've been traveling. You have we had a hold on travel for a while, mm -hmm. um, and we're still limiting travel a great deal to essential, and we consider safety to be a, an essential sure, function. Sure, so absolutely. we need to get our safety managers out. Yeah, good. Um, most meetings are still virtual, and of course we have all of our requirements on site. We've been. Very fortunate. You're, we're all going to have positive cases on our job site that come in from somewhere, but we've been very, we've worked really hard to make sure that the spread doesn't happen on our job sites and have been successful with that. So Fantastic. Job sites haven't, we haven't had to have shutdowns. We've been done very, 
been very fortunate with it oh, to this man, point. That's good. So that's good. I, I I have been really impressed by you know the length that many of our general contractors and some of these projects around these high visibility projects have gone to to try to control that spread. It's been it's been impressive. I don't know if the average person sees that, but many of my industrial clients and construction clients or associates, you know, colleagues. Um, just do some amazing things, man. Yeah, it's impressive. Taking temperatures, additional screenings, questionnaires, mask use, additional cleaning, all the basic steps that you'd expect. Um, I think the biggest challenge is people just get so comfortable with those that they work with closely all day, every day. And it's hard to think, man, that person could have right. could be transmitting COVID right now. I've worked with them every day. So trying to get people to understand that, you know, the other one I saw that was kind of interesting to me is, you know, the guys go to they're out working, they're wearing their hard hats, their glasses and everything else, but we're accustomed to taking off all of our PPE when we go to break. Sure. And so they'll wear a mask all day and then, okay, we're at break. And that's actually your biggest <laughs> chance of it spreading. It's of like, course. no, your, your, your face covering is not part of your PPE that we take off for break. You need right. to leave it on through that. Right. So that's that been is, a kind I'm of sure an, that is difficult. Yeah. It's just the habit a, of taking it's it off. It's just their habits. So that was one of the things we've been talking about with the guys lately. So. That's a really good point. And, uh, you know, habits are such a big part of what we do. Uh, and, you know, they impact safety so uh, dramatically sometimes that, I mean, almost, you know, it's behavior modification, these habit modifications that we have to try to drive to get some of these things through. That's really difficult. Right. But I, you know, I've been really impressed with our project teams. You know, they're so busy anyway with just keeping the job running, keeping everyone safe. And now we've added this whole other layer of responsibilities to them mm-hmm. and a whole other layer of responsibilities to our to our employees and the craft workers. And just been really impressed overall with just how people have reacted to that, how they've adjusted to, I, you know, this is just what we need to do with right. how things are going right now. And overall, they've done really well. That's impressive. Yeah, you're right. That is a lot. We ask a lot of them because, you know, the other safety things that we've been doing all along haven't changed. They, they haven't really lessened. We've just added this extra layer that. Because right. every year we, you know, every year we have our initiatives of here's what we're going to improve this year. We have our written, our operations plan for safety that we write out and have approved by our CEO. And, you know, by this date, we're going to do this initiative. And we pretty much had to scrap everything in mm-hmm. March and just kind of say, okay, what can we still do? What right. makes sense? And so we've tried to take it a little bit easy with changing things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our, every year we get together our safety committee chairman from each office to put together that operating plan. So that's coming up next month. And okay. So we'll uh, go through and see what 2021 is going to look like. Try to get back on that yep. schedule again yeah, if it, you can. We, we've been doing that for a lot of years. If you don't, and it's always interesting to me where a business will require an operating plan for their business development and every other location, but then somehow safety is left to just kind of do whatever they want. We changed that quite a while ago where we put together our operating plan every year. It goes to our board of directors, and that's what we are held to throughout the year. That's interesting. So it, to me, safety, you should treat it like every other part of your business and expect those results. So. Absolutely. That's an interesting point because it, it oftentimes does tend to just be reactive. You know, we might set a goal of no injuries at the start of the year right. and then just react to whatever happens. Maybe we do our toolbox talks and our regular trainings. But, you know, setting goals like that, an operating plan, we used to do that with OSHA at the beginning of every fiscal year. We would try to at least project to the extent that we were able, you know, where we would be spending our time, you know, where that was most necessary, those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, you get thrown off track periodically, but at least you have a plan. Right. And we we just got started doing data center work about a year ago, and that was kind of eye-opening with some of the differences there, requirements for just walk pass. Um, the overhead, the barricading of overhead hazards is a little bit more than what we had been used to. So, you know, a lot of our goals were based on how do we make this commercial project where the owner really didn't pay us a lot of extra money for safety. How do we make that just as safe as a data center job with four safety managers and high expectations? You know, what are the pieces from data center work that we can apply everywhere else? So well, that's interesting. So for us this year, our, a couple of our big ones were walk paths. We talked with the guys of you, you aren't going to have a perfect rocked walk path throughout an entire construction site. But, you know, just a basic thing. We said you should be able to go from where everyone parks to where they meet at the trailer to their main work area, and your boot shouldn't get muddy. So whether you're going to pour temporary sidewalks, put down rock paths, and we want to make sure that we're designating those and they're not shared with equipment, we should be able to walk safely and not have issues getting around the project. 
So we've, we've pushed really hard on that. It's We're still getting there. Mm-hmm. But that's been one of our goals. But that was for something year. that the data center activities, intri- or at least reminded you of. Not right, you, you saw that and said, "Well, this just makes sense. It Why makes are sense. we not doing this everywhere?" Yeah, and it's something you don't see on a lot of construction sites, and so that's been a big push for us this year. Uh, really focusing in on hey, what overhead uh, hazards, making sure we're barricading. We looked at that and said, you know, we're probably not as good at this as we mm-hmm. should be. So those are just a couple of examples. And those are two end- really relevant examples i think those are examples that everybody could probably improve upon i I was talking there's a safety manager for our owner that we were talking with and even housekeeping and he brought up a great example he said i want it to look like disneyland and we said well what does that mean he said so when you go to disneyland you never see any trash on the ground and so because you don't see any there's trash cans everywhere there's people picking up after and because you don't see trash the idea of dropping your own trash on the ground is just inconceivable wow and i said i makes some sense. So it we've does. used that example a lot of guys. We want Disneyland. Isn't and that so, interesting? Yeah. Matt, you know, that's, um, so my other Aaron buddy, uh, Aaron Cerrone, who he helps me with some leadership discussion, he, he, he gave that same example. And uh, the fact that everyone, every employee at Disneyland certainly is involved in keeping it like that. They all know that whatever their duties are or their responsibilities probably CEO down to the custodial people, or I, I shouldn't say down to, including the custodial, everybody is picking up. But I'd never even considered the impact that would have on the psychology of the guests, the visitors, right. to be in a, that's, that's really brilliant. Yeah, so we've, yeah, again, not mine. Well, <laughs> Shared no, with me by someone it, else. No, take but, credit for it. Um, yeah, it's uh, the other one that we've pushed really hard on over the last couple of years. We started our Nothing Hits the Floor program. So that includes only handling our waste material once. So anytime you're cutting, it needs to have a cut station with the trash can by it. We want to see all the cords elevated off the ground. We don't want to see extension cords on the ground. There needs to be enough trash cans around for the trash never hits the ground. Material storage, we want to see everything on carts, pallets, so that it can be moved by any trade. So it keeps things safer, obviously, when you have great housekeeping, but it also, from a production standpoint, you know, when you don't have to wait if... if uh, a subcontractor's material is on a cart and you need to get up into the ceiling right above their cart. You can just push it out of the way versus one sub having to go get the other one and move their material. So it's really a good, good process, that, both from production, but, and safety. And also. What, how do you, how do you refer to that? What do you call that? Uh, for us, it's nothing hits the floor. Nothing hits the so floor. So it's part of our pre-construction. It's part mm-hmm. of our toolbox talks. We do training on it. So I love we, that. we talk a lot about it. The biggest challenge is trash cans, making sure you have enough mm-hmm. and our, really highly scientific way of knowing if we have enough trash cans. You, if you're standing there with a plastic bottle in your hand and you look around for the trash can, if you don't see one, you don't have enough. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that test. Or that's if it's too far away that yeah, right. no, a very no, no craft worker test. is going to walk all the way over there to throw away this bottle. Right. You need more trash cans. Right. So that's a great point. So it's still like everything, a work in progress. It's, you know, it's pretty rare to find anything that's perfect and Elevating cords idea. is the biggest challenge right now. So Yeah, man, that's fantastic. But that, we've, that's... we've pushed really hard on that. It makes a huge difference when you walk onto the job site and you have a designated walk path and nothing hits the floor really drives other behaviors. I bet it does. That's fantastic. And, and um, you know, I don't know if you we – t- we talked briefly about habits. I don't know if Sasha actually recorded that or not, but we were talking – well, you know, we've been talking about habits a little bit. Um, there's a book that I always recommend, The Power of Habit – you know, and uh, there's a great chapter in there uh, by Paul O'Neill, the former CEO of Alcoa Corporation, talking about habits. But they, they refer to keystone habits, you know, these these elemental habits that we can instill that will lead to other behaviors that, that, are, that are desirable. I think this nothing hits the floor concept, you know, driving that particular keystone habit, if you are focused on, you know, housekeeping, or particularly nothing hits the floor, that concept that's going to impact everything else. Right. It, that, it that's makes a great It, it makes a difference, and I can, you can pretty instantly see when you walk onto a project if the team's committed to it. Mm-hmm. And when they are, it's unbelievable the difference it makes. Oh, that's fantastic, man. I, I have a whole list of questions here for you. Go Obviously, ahead. I'm going to yeah. go get away from them immediately because yeah. every time you say something, I want to pursue that. But one thing that you guys, and I know you in particular, have done that I have always plagiarized is the little, um, you know, the little uh, pre-job task analysis book or booklet, I should call it. It's just a little pocket-sized guide that you have given to your employees or supervisors, superintendents. Could you talk about that a little bit and how that has evolved? 
Yeah, so we've always had a JSA process. Everybody does just, hey, you have a big task. How are you going to do it safely? And we find that most of our injuries don't happen in the big stuff. It happens moving material. It happens, it, it's the little things. And so years ago, and we actually borrowed this from Cargill. <laughs> We're doing work up there. They had their, what's the worst thing that can happen? Just a little booklet. And we've changed ours up now over the years, but it's at the foreman level. And we say, look, you had a JSA for the day, but now your task has changed. How are you going to plan that? It's just meant for a quick hitter and they keep the book in their pocket and they go through and they fill out, here's our task, guys. What is What do we need to watch out for? What are the hazards? What are we going to do to avoid them? Um, for ours, we've now linked it to our behavior-based safety program. Um, in 2015, we did an evaluation and found that 85% of our employee injuries happened due to four behaviors. So struck by cop between eyes on path, believe it or not, 21% of our injuries happened from people just walking backwards, not watching where they're going. Mm -hmm. It was, I, I was astounded by that. Um, body mechanics and mm -hmm. then using the right tool. And five years later, that's still probably 85% of our injuries, but a lot less of them. Good. So when we do our behavior-based safety, it's peer-to-peer -peer observations. They're looking for those four things. And then we've linked that to the what pre-task plan. So when they're planning out their task, we ask, do you have the right tools? What are the struck by cop between? What are the body mechanics? What are your eyes on path issues? So we really hammer on those four areas with our self-performed work and our subcontractors. And it's worked out pretty well. So, but always evolving. You never know what the next thing will be. I think that's really good though. I, I, and I think I've had a conversation with someone recently about the fact that we, we oftentimes spend a lot of time and energy focusing on things that are really insignificant. They might be an OSHA regulation. They're probably yeah. on a checklist somewhere, yeah. but we really Fire focus on Fire extinguisher inspections yes. and a cut exactly. in a cord. That's exactly what, yeah. Let's, hey, let's kind of focus on what's really hurting yeah. our guys and gals, I should, you know, I mean, and yeah, I and, think that's really important. And we still find, I, you know, no one's perfect, and I still go through, and it's as you get to root cause of an injury or a near miss, you know, that planning is almost always at the heart of it. You know, you get the what pre-task plan and maybe is pencil whipped, or they, how oh, we didn't do a new one when the task changed, it's, there's always a place where we turned left instead of right, and sure. that led to the injury. But realistically, the the planning is the key thing, and if we're doing that well and we're doing that right, it's pretty rare for somebody to get hurt. That's, that's really fantastic. I, it's just kind of a higher-level thing, truthfully. When you move to – I was talking to Cody Hoover from Jack Lanks not too long ago, and we, we have moved kind of away from this just standardized checklist approach to identifying hazards to more – you know, more problem solving, more, you know, more collaboration rather than just strictly black and white type. And, and it's interesting. I find about every five years you get to a crossroads where, you know, you make a big change to your program. Everybody gets excited about it. You see some great results. And then about four years in, you hit a plateau, three, four years in, you hit a plateau. And then you just go, man, we're not getting better and maybe even get a little bit worse. And frankly, we're at one of those plateaus right now. Mm -hmm. So I was just talking with one of our safety managers this morning of, okay, what are we, where are we going next? So mm -hmm. as we have some of that checklist type stuff, our project teams are all required to do weekly inspections mm -hmm. and document. And it's the traditional fire extinguishers, scaffold part, you know. It's got to be done to yeah. some degree. And so we've started, we're starting to talk of how do we, and our compliance with this outstanding, you know, we're over 95% of the inspections we want done every month are getting done. Mm -hmm. But how good are they? And are they really driving changes in behavior you want? So I think that's probably one of the next places we go is, okay, how do we take this time the project teams are putting into safety and really focus on making it changing, changing behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one, you know, we're way off your, your no, no, questions here. But perfect. Keep going. The other, Keep going. the other couple things that I know that we're seeing right now is, we're starting to talk through, we have talked for years of everyone has the ability and a responsibility to stop unsafe work. But as you start asking our employees, what is, what is unsafe work? What goes to their head is, yeah, if I see somebody up on the steel, not tied off, I will stop that. If I see somebody in a bad trench, I will definitely stop that. I think that we've failed on telling them the definition of unsafe work. They'll, everyone will stop that, but will they stop the person who's about to use a hammer drill without a handle? Mm -hmm. Are they going to stop mm -hmm. the person at a cut station that hasn't secured their work down adequately? Mm -hmm. So we're starting to talk through how do we make sure people are understanding their responsibility to stop unsafe work isn't just high hazard stuff. It's, hey, your cord should be off the ground. Why are you standing in an area that isn't very clean? So really, we're trying to figure out how do you encourage our, especially at the craft level, that hey, unsafe work isn't just high hazard stuff and you have a responsibility to stop the little things too. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So yeah. I think we have an issue there. And then the other kind of big picture one is I always tell our safety managers that safety kind of goes in, in 
my opinion, just little theories, but it kind of goes in waves, right? Somebody jumps out front with something new, like behavior-based safety, whatever that was 15, 20 years ago. Everyone looks at it like, oh, that's silly. I'm not doing that. It's too much paperwork. I was one of those people. And then in 2015, we started doing behavior-based safety, and I saw our recordable rate go down by 75% in one year. It worked. Now we're five years into it, and, you know, most people are doing the same thing. Somebody starts a JSA, and then we're all doing JSAs, and we're kind of at a point where most safety programs, they all look pretty similar. Mm -hmm. I would agree. there were, so we're kind of waiting for the next thing. To me, I think that's going to be the wearable devices. We've mm-hmm. started using those on a couple of our projects. Mm. Um, not being paid by them, but we're using mm-hmm. one called Make You Safe out of Des Moines. Okay. I've and heard of it. I yeah, it's a it. wearable device the workers put on. We're piloting at a data center, and then another, we're going to get started so talk, on talk a, about one in what, Florida. what it does exactly. And what, so this one, the worker puts it on, and it's, it's going like to... It's like a wrist? It, it, it looks like, like a Fitbit. Like a, they wear it up okay. on their... This one, they wear up on their on their arm. And there's a lot of different models out there. I really like this one. It's reasonable. Um, If there is a trip or a fall, it sends an alert, has a motion sensor, uh, measures light level. It sends us an alert if somebody's working in a dark, in too dark of an area. Really? Um, Heat. So it actually has heat sensors, humidity. So it'll tell us if somebody's working in a heat stress environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Has noise level, can measure noise level. So we can get an alert if somebody's working in an area that's too noisy. The one part of it that I really, really like is it actually has a microphone, so the craft worker can push a button on it and say, hey, I'm over here in building two, and I see something that's unsafe, and it'll send an alert back to the safety manager. It could even be a lone worker protection for that right. matter. I mean, right. it, communication. So we've had really good, we're still kind of learning with them, but I do think it's kind of like the iPhone. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, you carried your digital camera and your digital video camera, and you had a phone and a PDA, and then it all came together in your phone. Um, that's kind of, This one's the closest to an iPhone we've been able to find. There's a lot of them out there that just track where everyone is on the project, mm-hmm. and some track, you know, motion to equipment. Um, you know, in my opinion, I think five years from now, it's going to be such a commonplace thing. Most workers will be wearing them every day when they go to work. That is really, and so I have to admit, I am not very familiar with that. I don't know that I have any clients that are utilizing those right now. I would love to talk with you more about that at some point or get more information or even, even have your contacts maybe come on yeah, and just have talk him about talk the product. It I think it's, it'd be fascinating. I've been really impressed with it and um, you need to have Wi-Fi on the project. If you don't, then they just sync once a day. So the Wi-Fi helps with the real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's the next thing, and I've been pretty excited about seeing the results. I can go on, you know, the project we're trying it on is in Des Moines. I can go online right now and look and see wow. what's going on with the 75 workers that are wearing the device right now. Wow. And, so, and there must be some psychology to that, too. There's I mean, The biggest thing to overcome is the workers thinking that you're big brother. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're going to track how long I'm in the bathroom and <laughs> right. what time I go and how, oh, I'm going to get an alert that I wasn't moving fast enough. Uh-huh. Um, the ones that we chose do not use that piece. Okay. And so we well, actually. I can certainly see some people doing that. Right. So Absolutely. we actually had rep, we had representatives from the company that makes it come out and address all the, all the employees and walked right through the functionality and see you guys, we are not tracking how long mm-hmm. you're spending on break or whatever else. That's not the <laughs> right. point of this device. Right. There are some out there that do that. And there is a value to that feature from a standpoint of uh, there, you know, there's some COVID tracking things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, they also look at those as a real advantage for a crisis situation that you'd be able to say, yep, all of my people are over oh, the rally yeah, point. The, the head counting and stuff. Right. So be- we looked at that and said, you know, the, few times you need that versus the bad will we'll get from our employees for mm-hmm. tracking them. We decided we didn't want that feature, okay. but another company might think that's the way to go. Or so. at some point in the future, it may be something that you could roll in right. without as much resistance once they've realized it's not quite as insidious yeah. as they exactly. thought. Exactly. I think the other, I think where they're going to go, the other feature I see coming. So there are systems out there right now that you can put a monitor and piece of equipment and then an RFID tag on the hard hat. And so if the piece of equipment's getting too close to the worker, it shuts the equipment off, sends an alert. Those are coming. The only ones I've found, though, um, don't take speed into the equation. So Just proximity, just purely. Just pure proximity. So a guy standing next to a skid steer getting ready for a concrete port sets it off no different than a scraper going 10 miles an hour. So I do, though, think that that's But those technologies exist, obviously. They exist. They're kind of back to that iPhone example. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, you'll see those built into these devices, and it'll be, uh, there's devices that measure body mechanics and send alerts if the person's bending incorrectly mm-hmm. all day. Ours don't do that, but mm-hmm. those are out there. So I see those all coming together here okay. before too well, long. Well, even some of the, 
And again, the only real experience I have with this kind of the lone worker technology where you have not moved perhaps for 10 minutes or 15 right. minutes or, you know, something like that. All of those things, those technologies all exist. They can all be built into this at some point. Man, that's really so, interesting. Yeah. I, I've not had any conversation about that before on, on this. Yeah, I, I, I think really I'm cool. pretty convinced they're the next, the next big thing. We're excited well, you, about. You've them always, and, I mean, you've always known. I mean, you've always been kind of ahead of the curve, in, in my opinion. When I when I look at you guys and what you are doing, you know, maybe you're not reinventing anything, but you're at least taking the available technologies and kind of implementing those and moving. For, so you, you've always seemed like you're ahead of the game to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, there's just so many technologies. We're probably way behind in some areas yeah, too, maybe but, so, man. but you, you never know. So but, tell me the name of that again, just so uh, the one we're using is Make You Safe. Make You with Safe. A U. Okay. So Make and You it's Safe. Out of They're Des out of Des Moines. Out of Des Moines. Interesting. Which, that worked well for us too. Our headquarters for Whites is Des Moines, so it's a. It's been a. It's been a nice it's relationship. Been a, yeah, we're, I'm excited about that. Good. They've been and a great so group. They, they are. Taking your feedback, probably, as yeah. they look as they I think look we're the new, first con. Uh, they really started more in the industrial world. So mm-hmm. they had a good footprint there and were mm-hmm. one of their first construction customers. Very nice. So well, hopefully you can put me in touch with those guys at some point. Yeah, That's really interesting. Yeah, they've been great to work with. Good, good. So. Well, I, I do want to talk a little bit about multi-employer work sites sure. and those challenges. One of the, you know, for the construction folks out there and even the in- industrial folks, I mean, one of the issues, from an OSHA perspective at least, that was incredibly challenging was this orchestration of a multi-employer worksite. And what we're referring to then is, you know, a project or a site or a, a fixed facility even where there are multiple contractors present at the same time. And I know as a general contractor, that makes you the uh, orchestra leader basically, you know, uh, representing your owner or as the GC um, and that, that has been a, an interesting challenge. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what Whites does to try to herd these cats or whatever you would call <laughs> how you would ever refer to this, yeah, push so, a rope or something maybe? Yeah. You know, so from a strictly on-site perspective, our expectations for a subcontractor, no different from our self-performed work. You know, orientations, weekly toolbox talks, JSAs, doing their what book, uh, following all the same requirements. So we treat our subcontractors on site the same way as we would our employees. Um, Whites is kind of unique in that we have such a wide variety of projects, both from a type of project and a size of project. Um, You know, we'll do the $150 million data center or the large commercial job, but then we'll also have a million dollar tenant improvement project somewhere. And so you end up with a very different level of subcontractors depending on the type of project. So we need to somehow manage you know, three guys in a truck that are going to do two mm-hmm. days of painting on a small job up to the most sophisticated contractors that are out there. And uh, we learn a lot from our subcontractors also. You start mm-hmm. getting into some of the larger subs, and boy, they're as sophisticated as anybody and mm-hmm. do a lot of things even better than we do. Um, we start with a prequal process, and ours is fairly flexible. Again, you get to the smaller subcontractors, and you said, uh, hey, you need to be lower than the, the national average for recordable rate. And so I'll get the prequal and their recordable rate will be a 10. Mm-hmm. But then you look and it's like, well, they had one injury, but they only right. work a few thousand hours. The guy cut his finger. Are we really going to not hire the subcontractor because of that? So uh, we try to take a more holistic look at them of mm-hmm. what's your EMR? What's your recordable rate? Have you had OSHA citations? Um, I usually, the ones that we don't use, I usually say they hit, hit for the cycle. They hit them all. Right? <laughs> right, 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 right. Hey, these guys and have they're a, out there. Yeah. These guys have a bad EMR, a high recordable rate, and they have no safety person. They don't do. Yeah. We just, yeah, this is more work. Probably best yeah. This is probably more work than you want to yeah. put in, but you know, Absolutely. we, we take a lot of pride in taking subcontractors and maybe don't have a, a great safety history. And we talk with them up front of this is what it's going to look like to work for us. And if you're willing to put in the effort, we'll help. And we nice. want to be, yeah. we'll be partners. Um, I, I got to be, to be, I, I love that approach. For one thing, if someone like whites doesn't take that approach and help, you know, help guide or improve the subcontractors that are willing, they will never get that opportunity because I think there are a lot of situations now where it's either you pass or you don't pass. Right. You know, if you're utilizing some of the third-party pre-qualification systems, it's a pass-fail, and those guys are just going to be left behind. And that's not really – I mean, I guess it's not yeah. ideal, so I like the fact that you are willing to invest in a company who is willing to invest in themselves well, a little and, bit. And we, we do an internal process. We don't use a third-party. The biggest – we looked at 
some of the different ones that are out there. And the biggest issue we found is that the cost is prohibitive, especially when you get to the smaller projects. A lot of these subcontractors will look at that and say, I don't know how to fill this out. I don't have the money to fill this out. Your job isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Now you've really shrunk your subcontractor pool right. and pricing and everything else. You, it's hard to be competitive if you're not getting as many Absolutely. bids. So we try to take it, but we still take a look and weed out the ones. And, you know, we have some subcontractors given that opportunity and it's fun to watch them advance with you. Others don't really want to go there and, you know, you figure that out pretty quickly yeah. and you don't use them again. Absolutely. So it's, what, what is it? So is that the biggest challenge? Just like kind of the diversity of subcontractors that you deal with, particularly for whites. I mean, that uh, seems like it would be a big challenge. Yeah. The diversity of it. And, you know, so some of our subcontractors that we use regularly, I'll, a Waldinger. Mm-hmm. We use a lot in Des Moines here in Omaha. So that, you know, we consider them a partner in a mm-hmm. lot that we do. I know they're safety man, you know, so yeah. you see them all the yeah. time and you know, like the nothing hits the floor. I see them and, and it's like, wow, I, I think they're better at it than we are now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. prefabricating They've everything. They've really bought into our, your yep, approach. Yep. And so then you go to the next project and you maybe hired somebody else and you're starting over. So sometimes the inconsistencies right. and the amount of effort it takes yeah. is where it gets a little bit more difficult. That's, that's really a subject that we have um, broached in the local AGC chapter, Gene Petch, and, the, you know, the we, we have talked about that a num- for a number of years now. How are we going to improve that? One, one of the questions I have that I find um, interesting to me is that there are a number of excellent GCs in this area. They all, I shouldn't say that, but oftentimes they will have different expectations of the subs. They will set different bars, you know, right. I mean, um, either, you know, we will, we will comply with OSHA or we are going to go, go above and beyond on these particular areas that are significant to this project, or we're just going to go above and beyond on everything. I think there is a degree of, of confusion that that instills in some of our subcontractors. They, if they're not regulars, if they're using working for multiple GCs, I'm not sure they even know what the rules are half the time. And, and so is that a fair, as an outsider looking in, is that yeah, that's off fair. base or no, not at all. There's, I you know, it's not as if we coordinate with other general contractors in the Omaha area of hey, what are you up to on this? Right, and, right. And maybe that's an opportunity. I remember years ago, uh, I tr- we had tried that a little bit with another large GC, and it's just a hard thing to maintain. Every company has their every GC has their own culture. They have their own needs, different product types. You know what works for one might not work for another. So it's hard to. You know, really make sure that those are in alignment. I don't know if that's feasible, but mm-hmm. um, you know, all we can handle or all we can control is our job. So we always try to make sure our, we have pre-bid documents. So we try to very clearly spell out, here's what we require that's above and beyond OSHA. Gotcha. Here's the processes you'll be expected to follow, put the money in as needed for stretch and flex or a weekly, this weekly meeting and understand you have to do these things. Um, and then before the subcontractor starts on site, we do our pre-con meeting. We try to have that at least two weeks before they actually start. We'll bring in their project manager, superintendent, foreman, whatever their leadership group looks like to meet with our on-site team. And they'll the meeting is nothing but safety. They'll just talk through, here's the expectations, here's what you're going to need to follow. So I think we communicate that real well where, we, where you sometimes run into problems is you have that pre-con meeting and the person who will actually be running the work on-site for the sub is busy finishing up the other job. So mm-hmm. maybe their PM or their construction manager comes and they maybe don't get that information down to where it needs to be. That's a great but then point. we come through, we, we do the on-site orientation. So each one of their employees hears all of our requirements. So everybody yeah, that's coming onto the project is going to get comes, that orientation. We, yeah. We have our safety video they watch and then our superintendent gives them the project specific portion. Okay. So that's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it, it's worked fine. I, you know, and that's another one we're looking at. Are they, mm-hmm. are they paying attention? Do they really absorb what we want them to? Should it be, Hey, here's the 10 things you absolutely have to do mm-hmm. versus this huge safety orientation. Right. So always evolving. Interesting. That is interesting. And, and uh, you guys rely heavily on the superintendent then because, I mean, your role as the safety director is not to go out and visit sites day after day and, and do right. these audit checklists necessarily. We're, we're kind of unique in that when our safety program is working at its best, the safety manager, uh, we used to have safety managers all over the place and our numbers weren't very good. Um, we found that realistically the person that can run the job safely is the superintendent and the project manager. And so we typically don't have safety managers on our projects unless it's required by either insurance or the owner. And so otherwise we typically don't have a safety manager out there because 
ultimately we want the project team that's responsible for their operations to also be responsible for safety. And we've been talking with them, you know, you always have to have a tagline or a slogan. Everybody has one. And we were all in for a long time. And then I started seeing that all over town. <laughs> right, right, of course. Yeah. I went to a job in Texas. And we're not I think, terribly creative. We no, just I went to a job in Texas, and I think every other contractor had a sign up on the gate that said, all in for safety. I'm like, okay, well, that's the new safety first. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and yeah. so, you know, things get stale. So last year we started talking a lot about lead with safety. Mm-hmm. And I try to explain that to our superintendents and foremen of what is the first thing you talk to a subcontractor or our employee about? So if you're a superintendent and every time you walk the job and you walk up to the subcontracting and say, hey, how's your schedule? Are you going to get that done today? What are you going to do tomorrow? If that's the first and only thing you talk to them about, when push comes to shove, what are they going to think you value the most? Of course. They're going to believe it's schedule and they're going to sacrifice safety to get something done, which is where we hurt people. Interesting. But if you lead with safety, and that can be as simple as your meetings start with safety, but when you walk up to a subcontractor and if the first thing you ask them is, hey, is, do you have everything you need to work safely today? Hey, any safety concerns? It doesn't have to be a big conversation, but if you lead your conversation with just a, hey, is everybody everybody feeling safe today? When push comes to shove, they're going to believe that that's your first priority. Um, that's interesting. Man. Yeah, and then we, we take I'm writing. it. A, I'm no, scribbling these things we, down. We, we take it a couple, of, a couple of the other examples I use in training is, you know, we'll ask superintendents and I'll say, if I asked every subcontractor and hourly employee on our site what your first priority is, what would they tell me? Project managers, if I asked all of your superintendents what your first priority is, what would they tell me? And if wow. you can't honestly say everyone that works for me would say that safety is my first priority, then you have a problem. That is fantastic. So we, we talk a lot about that. The other one that I always kind of have fun doing, especially like in new, or, new employee orientation, is we'll ask everyone like, hey, I want you to think about your personal safety commitment. And if you're giving it a letter grade, we're going back to school. Are you an A+, plus? are you a B, C, think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. Then I'll ask them to raise their hands. Like, okay, everybody who's an A plus, raise your hand. And you'll get one or two in a full room. Everybody who's a B, and you'll get a bunch of hands. Any C pluses, you'll get a few. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and you let them know that, you know, realistically, there's only two grades. You're either an A plus or you're failing. Mm-hmm. So if you said you're a B plus, you're actually failing with your commitment mm-hmm. to safety. And that usually gets people to start thinking a little bit, and then you challenge them, what is keeping you from being an A-plus? Oh, that's a great, so, oh, man, I love that It's a couple of the different things that we ask. So our employees have all heard me say that probably 100 mm-hmm. times now, but it does really capture if you're not completely committed, you're going to leave a gap somewhere and have mm-hmm. an issue. That's interesting. Wow, I love that. That's a great visual. Uh, I guess even though it's not visual, it's just communicated. But, you know, in my mind, I, I can – and picture my level of commitment and uh, and uh, realize that it's kind of a pass fail thing. It's not yeah, uh, yeah you can't it's get not a, graded. Yeah, there's you know, no C not, plus uh, in safety that yeah, gets right, by. Right, yeah. exactly. You're not trying to get through college here. You're trying to. And <laughs> I love the idea of the. Uh, I think it's very simple, but the psychology of it is really powerful. Of you know, the first thing that your superintendents are addressing is something related to safety on the project. Do you need anything? Is there something that you don't have that we no. can get you? Or are you running into a particular challenge that you're struggling with or something? Yeah. Any same, same type of premise when you're starting a subcontractor meeting. You know, there's, I know, safety moments. And to me, those always feel, we start every meeting with a safety moment. To me, that always feels a little contrived. Right. And so we've tried to tell, just ask a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Ask if they have what they need. Hey, are you being supported? It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be, 15 minutes that we shall talk about safety for 15 minutes. We're going to hug it out. Yeah, sure it, it doesn't. Just ask a couple real questions, and then you can get to what you're there for. But lead the meeting with safety and make sure everyone understands Yeah, that's it. fantastic. You're not going to sacrifice safety for the schedule or the cost or anything else. I love that. So. That's awesome, man. Oh, that, as I scribble these things down, you know I'm gonna just going to plagiarize <laughs> this stuff shamelessly. So. Go for it. That's well, fine. I do love that. Um, how about just tell me a little bit, little bit about um, – I mean, you've been doing this a long time. What keep what keeps you going, man? I mean, are you still digging it, or are you? I am. Are you yeah. planning on retiring, or is there some well, senior only... tour moment in your future, or what, what's what's going? On? I'm only 46, so hopefully, uh, yeah. It I, seems like you've been I, doing I, it a long time. It, well, you came right out of college and started this. Yeah, I uh, um, started working. Let's see, I was working for Ayers and Ayers on their steel erection crew mm-hmm. when I was my last year of college. No kidding. Yeah, so I had a. I have a degree in political science of all things and thought I was going to be a lawyer. And uh-huh. by the time I got done with school down in Lincoln, I was just kind of like, yeah, three more years of law school did not seem, yeah. I didn't have a passion for that. Yeah. And interestingly, Ayers was looking for a safety coordinator 
I had three roommates, didn't need a lot of money, and said, well, it's, <laughs> no one was knocking down my door to hire me with a political science degree with sure. a minor in history. So I said, yeah. Yeah, we'll try this. I grew up in construction. My dad was a contractor okay. and just sold his business. So I was like, you know, I, I like construction. Let's, we'll try this. And um, the safety director at the time moved to estimating about a year in, and all of a sudden I was a safety director about a year out of college. So you know, your first years are just learning, you know, well, what's the height of a guardrail? What's mm-hmm. it takes time to get that. And then it evolves. Um, I think that what keeps me excited about it is we're always doing different projects. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a new challenge. Safety is continually evolving and trying to figure out what's the next thing. Right. You know, I, I brought up in 2015, we had hit a real plateau and we changed everything up and that was really exciting to say, mm-hmm. okay, this isn't working. What are we going to do different? Well, we're going to do, behavior-based safety. And so you have this rush of a couple of years getting it implemented and then you kind of, it slows down. And I'm excited that I feel like we're at one of those points again. Mm-hmm. And what's you next? Get to try something new. Yeah. Right. So what's next? And so the idea, I like creating stuff. So the idea that we're going to hopefully create something unique that our workers like, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on trying to keep things as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. So I like that. that's probably what keeps me the most excited is that it just keeps evolving. Yeah, it's and never, there is no end to this journey that we're on. It doesn't seem like. No, there, there really isn't. And so, as you said, I mean, what, what you think, if you think you've reached it, you're going to be mistaken, yeah, unfortunately, I, hopefully I, not. I think the real key is identifying because when you, to me, again, just my theories, but when you hit that plateau, you kind of perform at the same level for a year or two, but then I think you inevitably start to see things go downhill. Mm-hmm. And I think the key is recognizing, and I could have done a little better this time around for us too, is recognizing when you've hit that, hey, the stuff we're doing is working, but it's getting a little stale. Yeah, well, we've been distracted this past year with a lot of other things. Right. So it's, it's, don't don't be too hard on yourself, <laughs> man. I think, you know, we've been so intent on making sure that our employees are right. safe, you know, from the COVID and making sure that we can keep working and things. Yeah. that I, I give everybody a pass on that yeah. if you have it's, not been... It's, it's been an interesting challenge. Like I said earlier, we've really tried to not do anything new or yeah. this year that would distract right. and be real different. We had implemented a lot of stuff the year before. So we've just really focused on making yeah. sure we're doing those things well. And, and I, I love your comment about keeping things simple. I think people have a tendency, particularly those in the safety profession, we can get a little bit complicated at times. Right. I mean, this is our wheelhouse. This is yeah. our area. And so we want it to be... I, well, I see a lot of like voluminous programs and policies and things that I think are. And we, we had that. So probably oh, it's been six or seven years ago, but we had the four inch thick safety manual that made the table bow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had, I still remember we had 27 pages on trenching. Our safety manual was just the OSHA standard. It right. had the, all the same. All the tables. And and everything like, it's like, there. why would you not just pull out the OSHA manual? Cause they're the same thing. Right, and it would right. look great for a owner prequel, but sure. really didn't bring any value whatsoever. It sat up on the shelf. It looked great during an OSHA inspection. They'd have loved seeing that, but um, it really didn't drive improvement. So we got rid of that. And we actually, everything for us is online now. We don't even print the manual. We can send you a PDF of it, but we went through and we shrunk every section down to no more than two pages. I love that. So like our trenching is two pages and the first section of it is project team requirements. So if you're a superintendent and you have a trench being dug, here's the three things you have to do. You have to do a daily dig permit. You have to do your locates and you have to do, we have an Excel spreadsheet that shows you the uh, proper slope or bench. Dig it to look like this. Mm -hmm. You have to do those three. And then the rest of it, a page and a half is the 99%. Remember you have to barricade it. You have to have access every 25 feet. It's just those things they learned in 30 hour, but forget. Right. Right. And so we said, we always tell our teams, if you have a new scope starting or something you haven't done in a while, you have two pages to read. Mm-hmm. It should all come back to you. If it doesn't give me a call. We've done videos going through those. So and we, that is, we try to give them resources just to make it as simple as we possibly can. If we ask the superintendents, they'd tell you we ask for a lot. We probably do, but I think you we do. try. We I try to the, keep the it superintendents easy. are held to a high standard. I mean, it's, uh, we're, we're but, fortunate, but I'm sure that you have good superintendents. They're probably well compensated. I mean, at least for, as I would view, yeah, you know. we we're fortunate. We have a really good group of people that we work yeah. with. So um, I just love the importance. I think that is in critically important. I review programs for people periodically. I try not to write programs for them. I think they need to give it some thought, but I I'm happy to review programs. And I think in, in inevitably I parry it down. You just start pulling unnecessary stuff out of there that just, as you said, doesn't add any value. The project team requirements to me is the key part where if you're a superintendent, we make it very clear, do these three things. You have to do these three things. 
So if we they call and they're having an issue, that's always the first step. Hey, did you do the things we told? Yep, I've done those, and so that works out pretty well. Um, I think the other key part with ours, we have great superintendents and PMs, but we're at a point where our general managers ultimately, so the person, our general manager for Omaha, ultimately safety at Omaha is his responsibility. And I'm fortunate to work with a really great group of general managers that all understand that safety is critical, that it's, you know, the most important part of their job, and they're very supportive. So they all get out and regular, regularly visit job sites. They have to do their own safety audits every month. So we hold them to a very high standard, and we have a really, really good group. That's fantastic. But that's, that's no accident either, man. I mean, it's obviously you have trained them to some degree, it's conditioned not, it, it, them. And it starts with our CEO and COO that yeah. they understand their role in supporting safety. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in an environment where I have executive support from the top. At, that's fantastic. In, in any way I need. So. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's conclude, man, with just one last um, question. Um, you now, I, I can't do the math in my head, but if you've been doing this since 96, 2006, 16, what is that, 24, 24. 25 years, yeah. something like that. Um, as you bring in new safety people, you probably have new safety people that are coming into the company. What 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 guidance do you give them if you're if you were looking back and talking to Aaron, you know, in 1996? What would you tell him uh, about the evolution of you of yourself as a safety professional? You know, part of it comes down to hiring the right people as best you can, and it's fascinating right now. There, with all especially with all the data center work and industrial work. There's a, it's tough to find good project safety managers right now. I know that's one of the conversations we always have is we need a person here. We need, so there's a lot of opportunities out there right now. Um, you know, maybe a bigger picture. I remember we had a group come out from like Metro Community College and walking a job and they're asking for advice. So I said, take a technical writing class. Mm-hmm. No one ever expects that one. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how many people in the safety profession don't write very well. <laughs> And if you can't send a coherent email or a report that summarizes an issue down to something that people can easily understand, you're going to really struggle to get ahead. So we've had, that's usually one of the biggest development items that we have for safety managers is writing classes. Mm -hmm. The other one that's probably, you know, it's easy to learn OSHA standards. It's easy to learn company standards. Um, Relationships are probably the most critical thing. You know, how well that safety manager works with the project team. Um, that's usually probably the biggest adjustment. So we talk a lot about what the role is and then also have to have the conversation with our project teams. You have a safety manager here. That does not mean that safety is their responsibility. You're the superintendent, you're the PM, the safety of this project is still your responsibility, not the safety manager. The safety manager here is to provide, is to provide you either to be a resource, provide guidance, they'll you know, work with the subs and take care of some of the tasks that'll alleviate some of that responsibility. But ultimately the performance out here is yours. Mm-hmm. So that is always kind of an interesting one with our project teams and with the safety manager mm-hmm. to make sure everybody really understands their role and how they're going to work together. Yeah, that's so fantastic. We spend a lot of time talking about that part. I love that, man. So those are, I completely agree with you that the technical side of what we do with, with a few exceptions is fairly easily understood. We, we can all get a handle on that. I mean, you know, there, there are some very sophisticated parts of safety, but the general safety, you know, the regulations and things are fairly easily understood and, and discussed. But writing, I, I've not had anyone say that before, but it is such a critical piece, the communication piece, writing, speaking, communicating, um, the relationship piece. I couldn't agree with you more how important that is. We, we talk about that when we talk about leadership you know, we hire oftentimes, or we promote people oftentimes because they're great performers. You know, they do the job incredibly well. They can build something or they can, you know, assemble something or right. they do the most, whatever, you know. But they don't always have good relationship skills necessarily. And and I think just the fact that you communicate what the roles are and what the expectations are, I think that's yeah. overlooked too. Yeah, and we're fortunate. I mean, our HR department's very good and they have role profiles for each position that they work through you know they've worked with safety to say what should what is the responsibility of a safety manager and a project safety manager and a regional safety manager and they are different and so we always make sure especially because we have so many projects that don't have a safety manager on them uh, we'll have a lot of superintendents when they're on a project where one's required it might be the first time they've ever had a safety manager on their job 
And so that's always an interesting adjustment that we always need to communicate of, hey, understand nothing in your role really changed here. Mm-hmm. You just have someone else to help. It's fantastic. So, Man, yeah. I, I can't tell you. First of all, I, I apologize for inviting you so late. <laughs> Man, if this would have been like in the top five, I think we would have helped people immensely a year ago. We've waited, you know, fantastic information. I, I've always regarded you as one of the most innovative safety people that I've had the pleasure of working with, you're always coming up with some really useful innovations. And I think that is very difficult for a lot of people. They're just used to doing, you know, what's expected, or they're used to doing kind of the habitual routine things. And And it just doesn't perpetuate continuous improvement. And and I'm really fortunate from, you know, from an innovation standpoint, we have a, I have two regional safety managers that are just unbelievably good. good for you so i know this morning one keith uh harkins works down out of our florida office which i don't know how i'm in omaha in case <laughs> right, in florida exactly. your subordinate yeah, got Nick, that nice and, well we were together nixon yeah. denver and i'm in oakland nebraska living there so i'm not sure where i turned right instead of left in life where yeah. that worked out but you know keith and i were talking this morning and the idea is just kind of bounce back and forth and he says something that sparks an idea and vice versa and same conversations with Nick. So we're, I'm very That's fortunate to have a group it. that works yeah. together real well. So um, we can innovate together with things. And, and that executive level yeah. support you commented on. You know, the, that's the other piece is they're very good at challenging us mm-hmm. of, you know, we have a couple things this year where the numbers all look good, yet some injuries are still happening. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, Aaron, that's not working. It's like, you're right. And so it's time to take another look. And so I have great executive, great executive level support, but also, you know, challenge at the right times. So nice. That's fantastic. We've been, we've been pretty fortunate with that. That's excellent. So. Man, I, there's a lot of information in this to digest, so I hope I'm going to have to actually go back and re-listen to it. I'll probably have more questions for you, so hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, anytime. It's been um, fun. It's fantastic, man. I would love to hear what you guys come up with for the next iteration of your safety program. Now what the, the pressure's next? on. <laughs> yeah, come up with something really good, man. Um, and, and also at some point when you've collected some data on the uh, – you know, the personnel monitoring. Yeah. I'd happy. be interested to hear that too. Yeah. No, happy you know, to share. You know, how that evolves as well. So, man, thanks again for being here. I pre- have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Sasha. Have a nice weekend. And we'll talk to you again soon.